you should choose your adventure first and your rig second. So really look at what are you trying to do? I guess I really try to push people like don't just look go live in a van because that seems cool. Like what do you what are you really trying to do? Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 57 with Kathleen Morton from Van Life Diaries and Tiny House, Tiny Footprint. Before we get to that, I want to tell you a little bit about Tiny House Engage. Tiny House Engage is a small, private group where I answer your tiny house questions every single day. If you're serious about planning and building a tiny house, you're going to have a lot of questions along the way, and you're going to need answers that are specific to your situation. That's why I created Tiny House Engage. There are lots of free Facebook groups online where you can ask your tiny house questions along with 30,000 other people. But in Tiny House Engage, you'll get individual attention from me and from other members in the group who are already building and living tiny. Tiny House Engage registration opens once every six weeks, and our current registration period opens today. So if you'd like to join Tiny House Engage and start having your tiny house questions answered every day, visit thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. All right. I am here with Kathleen Morton. Kathleen travels and lives part-time out of her 1987 Toyota van with her dog, Peaches. Kathleen is the founder of Tiny House, Tiny Footprint, a community she created to share stories about those choosing alternative lifestyles, living more environmentally consciously, and spending more time in nature. She is also the co-founder of Van Life Diaries, a social media and online platform that tells stories and connects van lifers around the world. You might often find her backpacking in national forest, working on organic farms, or climbing canyon walls in the desert. Her book, Van Life Diaries, Finding Freedom on the Open Road, comes out April 9th in bookstores. Kathleen Morton, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So we're now, t- we probably scheduled this before your book came out. Um, how has the reception been to it? Um, I, I think great. It's really, it's really hard for me to know. I've never um, published a book before. I had a self-published book come out a few years back, but this seems like a whole different experience. Um, but I, I've been just so, um, I guess, humbled to see so many people buying it all over the world and, and seeing photos of people um, spotting it in their local bookstores. So to me, that that seems like it's, it's, it's doing pretty good. <laughs> it's so hard to say, but I'm just happy with how it's doing so far. So this is like, so I self-publish my books too, and I'm going to say this is like a real book, like with a publisher <laughs> and stuff, no, right? They're both real books. Um, I think the nice thing about, you know, the difference between a self-published book and a published book is that you have other people there kind of doing a lot of the work that you had to do yourself um, when you self-publish. Like when I self-published my book, I had to, you know, do all this research about finding a printer and shipping the book and uh, promoting the book and, you know, scheduling book launch events and things like that. And it's really nice when you have an established publisher that has so many connections and, you know, has 
done this so many times before, so they're able to take care of a lot of the logistical things. Um, So in that way, it's a it's a pretty um, it's a pretty nice uh, nice thing to have when you when you're working on a published project versus a self published project. Yeah, I'm I'm more and more tempted every day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about the distinction, if there is a distinction, between Tiny House, Tiny Footprint, your website, and Van Life Diaries, which I think is your main Instagram profile. Are they like two separate entities, or is one just the the social media profile for the other? So they're totally different in my head. Um, So Tiny House, Tiny Footprint is something I started um, probably about four or five years ago. I was living in a camper trailer um, outside of Denver. Um, And, you know, it was a time when it was not really that popular of an idea to live small. Um, It's hard for us to think back on a time like that just because there's so many tiny house living shows now and van life is scattered across our Instagram feeds. But, um, you know, that was that was the time that I started Tiny House Tiny Footprint and I did it for environmental reasons. I was living in an apartment in Denver and I wanted to be more eco-friendly um, in terms of, you know, I wanted to learn more about composting and I wanted to see, you know, how little could I use in terms of electricity and, and, and you know, my other utilities every day. And so that was my my goal with it. And I started blogging about it and sharing stories of other people who were living alternatively And that just kind of took off in a way I was never really, um, you know, never really intended to. And at the time, Van Lift Diaries was building, um, you know, a movement. It was started by two guys over in Australia. Their names are Johnny and Jared. And um, they were living in vans out there. And they were sharing, you know, the van lifers perspective. And I was sharing, you know, van lifers, sailboaters, yurters, (laughs) all different alternative lifestyles. And so we were kind of doing the same thing. And so they um, needed someone in America to join their team. They wanted to expand over there and, and host gatherings and, and work with, uh, you know, sponsors and just kind of um, build the movement over there a little bit. And so uh, they created a position and I applied. And um, that was probably about three or four years ago now. And so I'm a part of, you know, these two organizations, you know, one that I started and one that you know, two others started and we're doing similar things. Um, and we've kind of, I guess, in some ways joined forces and that they're kind of one, but in a lot of ways, looking back, the tiny house, tiny footprint was just something I was doing, you know, by myself. Um, you know, had nothing to do with vans even at the time. Cool. So, so you were living in a camper trailer, you said, did you go right from that into the current van that you have now oh man I wish but I went through like three vans that broke down um yeah so I lived in the camper trailer for about a year and a half um that was parked in one location so I think um when people think of people living small a lot of the time they think that they're um, moving around you know even if you're you know camper trailer is a mobile um you know thing to have so um but in my case I was working a full-time job and living in a small space. Um, And then once, you know, I was blogging about it and doing all these things, um, remote work, um, I was able to transition 
um, from, you know, working in one spot to working on the road. And that's when van life became more appealing for me because I wasn't sure I could do van life (laughs) and and live in one spot, um, you know, and have a full-time job where you have to like get ready for work every day and shower and all of that. So, um, remote work and and van life tied, tied nicely together. And then I started traveling out of a few different vans, um, an 87 Toyota and then a 73, um, Ford, uh, van and then another 87 Toyota. I kind of have a thing for older vans. Uh, Um, but yeah, I went through a couple breakdowns until I, and then, you know, went through a couple of different vans before I found one that, you know, was more of my fit. And I learned a little bit more about being my own mechanic and, um, and yeah, now I live, I live part-time out of it. Um, kind of slow down a little bit on the traveling just because, um, it, it, it's a lot and it can take a lot out of you to, to always be moving. And when you have a lot of work you need to do and some big projects and you need to be on a Wi-Fi connection, um, it can be really difficult. So I've chosen to make it more of a part-time lifestyle, but you know, before it was the, it was a full-time thing for me. Yeah. I think, I think people see a lot of people traveling in tiny houses because that seems to be what ends up a lot on TV. Or if you go to a tiny house festival, you're going to meet people who are traveling full time in tiny houses and vans and schoolies. But I, my kind of gut feeling about it is that there's a vast, vast majority of people who aren't really traveling full time but are living tiny. Yeah. And it's something I had a little bit of a shock at first about when I was on Instagram and seeing all these van lifers and, you know, they look like they were on the road full time. And then I would meet up with them and they'd be like, oh, yeah, no, that's for my trip about three months ago. Uh, Now I'm kind of just hanging out here for like three months. And I'm like, oh, you don't live on the road like all the time. You're not moving like 24 you know I I don't know why in my head I was like oh they must be you know always moving and always doing something and I think the reality is is that everybody needs rest everybody you know needs moments of travel but moments of also just taking the time to to kind of get stuff done and to um you know and it's it's it is a bigger question too for a lot of people about it being sustainable you know full-time is it something that you can always do? Is it something you can do with a family? Is it, um, does it make sense environmentally to always be moving, you know, for your carbon footprint? Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of bigger questions we could dive into, but, um, yeah, for me, I just decided that, um, you know, I needed a balance, um, just for my mental health and for environmentally and for just for more long-term connections as well. Yeah, that's that's really important and I think that what what I've noticed at the the festivals is that there really is a community of people who travel to the festivals together because they even if you're on the road you still need those connections and and basically your extended family of friends to to be there for you. Definitely, yeah. So have you do you have a, a kind of a permanent home where you stay when you're not traveling? Yeah. So, um, when I was living in the camper trailer, I saved up some money, um, because I wasn't really 
paying for rent um, at the time, which was nice. Um, yeah, a great benefit of, of living <laughs> tiny. Yeah, of living on the road or living in any is is when you don't have to pay that. Um, so I saved up a bunch of money and I bought um, an a thousand square foot cabin outside of Denver. And when I was traveling, I just rented it out, um, which was really great because I was able to rent it out for more than my mortgage. Um, so it was actually a really good investment for me because I was, you know, making some money, um, from doing that, um, while I was on the road. And the other great thing about it was that when I was traveling, I had like a place to store some of the things that I couldn't take with me in my travels. Cause, um, you know, I have a couple sheds on the property. And so, um, you know, a lot of people don't have that luxury of, you know, extra gear that might not fit in their van to have a spot to kind of switch out from like summer to winter gear and, you know, just extra items. So that was really great. And, um, I was friends with the people who lived there. So they let me park, you know, in my, it's my backyard, but they let me park there. And, um, you know, so things like that were just really, you know, it's just, I can't emphasize enough how, how great it is to have a home base where you feel comfortable to come back to. Um, and now I've decided that, you know, I want to tie the two together more. So, um, um, right now I've, I've moved back into the cabin and I'm just kind of working on some ways that I can like rent it out half, you know, part-time as opposed to full-time and, you know, um, live in the backyard when I'm not renting it out and also, you know, continue traveling and, um, it's just really nice to have a space to get done projects. Um, I have an older van and like this morning, um, I had to do some work on it. So, you know, it's nice to be able to have a spot where you can, can do that, where you're not like in someone's driveway or, you know, on the side of a street. Um, so for me, this is just such a, a great opportunity and, um, I have a great community here. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not saying no to traveling by any means. I have a lot of stuff coming up this summer. I've got some van life gatherings that I'm planning, um, you know, some meetups, some book, book launch events. And so, um, it just, it just makes those events way more, um, exciting when I can, you know, rest between them versus like just trying to make it to each one. Cause I'm like <laughs> always on the road. So yeah, this is just really working out well. I was curious, you mentioned before that you've learned to become your own mechanic I'm curious, like, what kind of things have you learned how to do? And um, that, like, scares me a lot. Like, I learned how to be a carpenter to build my tiny house, but, like, ah, mechanic, yikes. So what what are some things that you've done? Man, being a carpenter sounds like a better skill than being a mechanic. But, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, they're both great, great skills to have, I think, Um yeah. So I think, you know, before I was a little bit naive, you know, I'd have an issue and I would just go to the mechanic and be like, I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> Can you just figure it out? Um, and that's uh, that that's not a good thing to be just going into a mechanic like that because they know right away that you don't have the knowledge and they can pretty much you know, you obviously you want a good mechanic, but if you're, you know, traveling, you might not have an option of, you know, knowing who's a good mechanic. So, um, they might just tell you it's one thing or, you know, not really fix what you, what you really need fixed or 
charge you too much. Um, and so having, so having the knowledge to kind of diagnose, um, in terms of, you know, knowing what, what it means when there's certain noises (laughs) going on in your rig and, um, you know, something's leaking, knowing like where it's leaking from, um, being able to kind of take apart, um, you know, looking at the engine and knowing what each thing does and, you know, checking on your fluids. Um, that's something I never used to do before. I always was like, oh, I'll just, you know, wait till the yearly tune up to have someone look at my fluids. But, you know, checking on those, you know, like every few weeks or, you know, just, just kind of knowing, knowing your rig, I mean, knowing what it does and, and how it operates makes a huge difference and will save you a lot of money and a lot of time. Um, you're, st- you're still going to have issues with an older rig, I think, no matter what. Um, even if you are kind of checking on things every now and then, like things will come up that, you know, might be outside of your control, but at least you can go to a mechanic if you can't fix it and say, Hey, I, this is exactly what's happening. And, um, this is exactly what I need fixed. This is the part that I looked up that you need, need to get, or I already have the part. This is what I expect it will cost. And that way they're like, oh, wow, this, this girl, you know, she's not just coming to us and, you know, you know, expecting us to figure it out. Like she already has a lot of knowledge. So we're going to, you know, take care of this and not overcharge her and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a good skill for everybody to have, no matter what your rig is. Um, it just helps with an older rig, I think, a little bit more. Definitely. I've I've seen a lot of. I feel like in the last year or two, it seems like people have really developed a soft spot for those kind of vintage vans, the old Toyotas, the 90s VW, um, I guess, Westphalia vans. What do you think the appeal, the appeal is of, of these like 30-year-old vehicles? Yeah, so for me, it's character. <laughs> a lot of them... Um, um, you are unique. Um, so mine is, you know, obviously it's an 87, but it's also has this pop top on, on, on the top. And so, um, it was one of 25 that year that were made with that pop top on top. Um, so obviously a lot of people can, you know, get those customized, but, um, Toyota put out, you know, just a certain number. And so for me, that's pretty cool to know that I have like, this unique van. Of course, not, not a lot of people would know that or care about that, but if you're in the Toyota community, like you're like, wow, that's, that's a cool thing. Um, and yeah, yeah, just, just along those lines, it's the community of people, um, who also like those vans. So I'm a part of a couple Toyota forums. (laughs) They're pretty nerdy, but, um, whenever I have an issue, I can just get on there (laughs) and I'll be like, um, I mean, this sounds silly, but like the other day I couldn't find something in my van. And so I was like, I'm looking for it. I don't know where it is. Um, Can any of you help me? And I don't know what some of these guys or girls are doing in this forum. If they're just sitting around on their computers, just waiting. But like, (laughs) I got about 10 responses right away, you know, from people like telling me exactly, you know, where this part was, what I needed to do with it, you know, how I could fix it. Um, you know, and everybody's like taking pictures of theirs and their van to help guide me. And, um, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you can be a part of a lot of other forums that do that, but there's just, you know, something special about having all those people and, you know, 
it's a certain number of people too. So you start to kind of know them by name and know their rigs. Um, you know, sometimes you meet up with some of these people and, um, they become your friends. Um, so that, that's just pretty unique. And you go to these gatherings too, and it's, it's pretty cool to walk around and see some of these older vans and, um, you know, see the people that live in them and how you customize your space. Uh, for instance, for a Toyota van, you know, those aren't, th- those don't come built out, um, unless someone, you know, already built it out and customized it. So you, you have about 30 square feet to work with. <laughs> um, so you have to be pretty creative and your build. And so that's another cool thing about the older vans too, is that you, you know, are, you know, just working with this <laughs> unique space and it's not really made for a build out. And then you're finding a way to make it into your bedroom and your kitchen and all of that. You do a podcast uh, called Roll With Me that I really enjoy. And I think you do a really great job of telling people's stories or allowing people to tell their own stories in their own words. I'm curious what what attracted you to podcasting? And I was hoping actually um, if you could share maybe one or two of your most favorite stories or interviews that you've done. Yeah, so I think one of the overall themes with everything I've done is that I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I kind of like, I I just do things because I want to do them. And I I'm not going to admit that I, I know anything about anything I'm doing, but you know, you learn over time, I think. And, um, and, and I guess, um, people see the passion behind what you do. And, and I think people will be a part of those projects because of the passion more so than the, (laughs) than, you know, you being a professional at what you do. So I guess what I'm saying is I have, I have no idea what I'm, I'm doing podcasting, but I really, really enjoy it. And, um, yeah, I mean, it all started just by meeting up with a lot of these people in person and them telling me their story. And of course I could put that into a blog post, but I think there's something special about hearing it, um, from the person themselves. And I think too, hearing it inside their rig is kind of cool because there's all those different noises associated to their rig and, you know, I know podcasting is supposed to be a nice, quiet <laughs> space, but I kind of like when you hear the cars whizzing by or people kind of moving around and, um, y- you know, it kind of brings that to life a little bit. Uh, so one of my favorite ones is actually like, I think, you know, maybe the second to last one that I put out um, is from an older guy and he's was um, telling a story about kind of the original van life. Um, I think a lot of people really liked that one too. It's just a little bit different to hear a perspective from somebody um, talking about, you know, van life back in the sixties. Um, and, you know, it was just his version of living out of his truck. So it wasn't a van, but, um, you know, he was just saying like, you know, this is, this is what I did. And going to, when I went out to college, I would sleep in my rig and I, you know, was looking for a particular rig that I could, could do that in and travel around in and all the memories he had, um, you know, with that particular rig. And and I think that's something that's relatable to van life is that you have this attachment (laughs) to your vehicle. Um, and so I just really liked his perspective and saying, you know, he had, he had respect for, 
all the younger people who are living van life because it was something he could relate to back in his younger days. Um, so I just thought that was like a unique perspective because I think a lot of what we see on social media is like people in their 20s or 30s um, traveling and living out of vans. You don't see a lot of older people doing it or you don't hear a lot of older people talking about it. Um, you know, my parents' generation has a different view. You know, a lot of people them, my parents and their friends um, have a little, little bit of a different perspective on van life. And so it's just cool to to hear his perspective. I really enjoyed that one, too. Is there another is there another favorite that you have? I'm making you I'm making you delve back into your archives. Well, yeah. And I, you're making me think I need to put out more because. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, I guess the last one too. Travis's story. Travis is a good friend of mine. And um Travis is a really unique person, um, just in so many ways. I mean, his, there's so many layers, I guess, to his, his story to talk about, but, um, he spent like a few months on the streets being homeless just to kind of see what that was like. Um, which is, is, is just a unique thing for someone to do to actually like put themselves in other people's shoes like that. Um, it's pretty powerful. And, um, and also, um, he's diagnosed with cancer and just kind of, you know, talking about, um, you know, living on the road and, and dealing with that as well as, you know, he had some childhood abuse and he's just gone through just so many different struggles. And so I think sometimes we think to ourselves, you know, you go, you go through all these struggles. Why would you want to put yourself in a difficult situation, like living in a tiny space or, you know, put yourself in something that might be uncomfortable when you've already had uncomfortable things happen. And, um, you know, for him, that's not the case at all. He wants to do that, you know, to really find his happiness. Um, and so anyway, I, I, I think, I think that there's so many layers to people, um, that you can really find out when you're podcasting because, um, a picture on Instagram, <laughs> you know, only, you can say only so much about someone. And I really like to tell the stories about these people that not your, aren't your average stories where, you know, someone quits their nine to five and goes and lives in a van. And while that's a cool story, I think that now people are searching for deeper stories in this lifestyle. Yeah. It's not that it's like if you quit your nine to five and live in a tiny house or a van, like good for you. But it's definitely not. It's no longer a headline like woman quits job, lives in lives in van. I think that in vans, there's such a huge. Well, first of all, I, I'm kind of just talking out loud here. I think that van life is potentially the most accessible for someone to get into who maybe doesn't want to go full time, wants to live tiny, you know, be able to travel because you can do it pretty inexpensively. So I'm curious what advice you might have for somebody who is kind of interested in dipping their toe in the water here. Um, how much would somebody need to spend? Like how, how, what, like how do you start? Yeah. So that's a question I get a lot and that's a hard question to answer. Um, um, yeah, I think what I try to tell people is that you should choose your adventure first and your rig second. So really look at what are you trying to do? Um, you know, 
I guess I really try to push people like, don't just look, go live in a van. Cause that seems cool. Like, what do you, what are you really trying to do? You know, are you trying to go and visit all the national parks? Are you trying to, you know, explore a certain part of the world? Are you, you know, use your passion climbing or mountain biking and you want to fulfill that. So I guess it's like kind of take a step back first and like, why are you doing this? Um, and then after you kind of answer those questions, then I would explore, you know, what rig is going to help me fulfill that. So, um, if you're somebody that is a mountain biker, you know, and that's your joy in life, then maybe your rig needs to be able to, you know, have your mountain bikes, um, hung on the back of your rig or inside your rig or on top of your rig. So like, you know, what's going to best carry those bikes or, you know, all this gear that you might need. Um, if you're simply just, you know, wanting to go around on the road and camp in camp in cool spots and, and, you know, work remotely and you don't really, you know, need a spot for all this gear or, you don't need a big rig to stand up in, like standing up in your rig's not important to you, like things like that, then you can, you know, explore even the car that you already have or the truck you already have or, um, you know, a smaller van. Um, you know, you can also go out on a weekend trip and try it out in different different vehicles. Um, now there's, you know, all these van, camper van rental companies. Um, so you can test that out for a weekend and see if that works. Um, but I think people like sometimes get a little hung up on, you know, certain features of a van that they need, like, um, you know, certain size of the bed or indoor kitchen or, um, what it looks like. And I think, you know, that type of stuff will can develop over time. Like you can continue to build out your rig, um, to, you know, to customize it for yourself as you travel. Or you can transition out of rigs too. <laughs> I've kind of done that in many ways. It's just kind of changing what I need in my in in my everyday life. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess I would say that like it's you know just go for it <laughs> and and whatever works for you. And then over time, you know, you can you can change that out, and it's not the end of the world. You know, if you have to sell your van or you you know, move into a house or something like that if it doesn't work out. So are there websites where you can rent vans that are more like what we see in the van life world and not like small RV type vans? Yes. So actually, um, I have some friends here in Denver that have a company called Native Camper Vans. Native Uh, Camper Vans. Okay. Yeah, they're really great guys. Um, And... Um, they started the company, I think about three years ago now. Um, and they've got, um, an office in Denver and one in Salt Lake city, I think maybe one in Las Vegas. Um, but anyway, um, they've got some Dodge caravans, which are smaller vans with like a little kitchen and back and the, and the seats fold out to be a bed. And then they've got, um, I think some pro masters that are bigger ones where you can stand up in the van. They have like an indoor kitchen. Um, and they've got a space for all your gear. Um, so those would just be great options. I think for somebody who, you know, isn't sure and they just want a little like taste (laughs) of van life. Um, there's a lot of people that do that here that, you know, rent those out for the weekend, um, just to kind of get to see what the experience is like. 
So one thing that I like to ask um, all of my guests is what are two or three resources? So it could be like books or YouTube channels or really anything that were helpful or inspiring to you along your journey to to your van life. Yeah, so I don't know if there was any books um, that I read, but um, there were a lot of people that I were that I was following like a while back that really inspired me. Um, you know, this is you know, like five years ago now. So, um, but Idle Theory Bus is one of them. Um, their names are Kit and Jr. And they've been living in their bus called Sunshine for about seven years now. So um, they uh, they were a huge inspiration just because you know it's a smaller rig and they they were doing it to connect with nature and 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 kind of be more idle, you know, to to spend more time doing nothing. And and they kind of talk about that a lot in their travels. Is just kind of taking the time to um, you know, really be wild and be more free and, and, you know, spending less time working, but also, you know, really fulfilling the things that you like to do in life. So, um, I think, I think that's pretty, uh, a pretty cool idea and something that more people should embody. Um, so I would suggest them. Um, I'm trying to think who else, um, you know, and I guess it's hard, it's hard to say there were a lot of tiny house people that I was following that I still talk to now. Um, his name is Andrew and he has this blog called, um, I think it's tiny revolution. Is that right? Yep. Andrew Odom. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. And he has a tiny house magazine. Um, and yeah, I've been chatting with him for several years and we've connected a few of the tiny house festivals and he's really great because he's always bringing me into the tiny house community. Um, because you know, I don't really live in a tiny house on wheels, but he's, you know, he's always really incorporated me into, um, you know, the tiny house community and talking about different types of rigs and my, and, you know, I had an, I have a whole story about exploring, building a tiny house. And so, um, you know, kind of just, he was really interested in hearing about that and why I, you know, went from wanting to do that to, you know, living in a camper trailer to, to living in a van. Um, so I think it's kind of cool that I do have these different perspectives and, and, you know, um, being a part of all these different communities has been really awesome. But yeah, I mean, looking back, it, I didn't really have a lot of people uh, that I could reach out to and that supported me in my early days. In fact, I was, um, I, I felt pretty um, out of place because <laughs> I, I didn't uh, feel like anyone really understood what I was doing. And so that's, that's why I started my blog is that I really wanted a space for people to, um, to just feel like um, it was a more normal thing to do and to have other people they could connect with and, um, to, to find their community. So, um, in a lot of ways, not having the community helped me establish more of a community. Why did you decide not to, to build a tiny house? Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think initially I thought it would be really cool, um, to build one. So when I was living in the camper trailer, one of my ideas was that I could live there 
and um, build this tiny house on wheels. Um, and that would be like, you know, the the place I would move into after the camper trailer was done or after the tiny house was done. Um, but as I started researching it, um, I was learning a little bit more about building and zoning codes and, um, and I was learning more about the cost of building a tiny house and the materials and time. And, um, I just decided based on all of these different factors that it wasn't really, um, it wasn't really going to be the like dream I had in my head when it was finished. Like even a lot of the raw land I was looking at, looking at buying, you know, to put my tiny house on required a permanent structure on it so that I would have had to, you know, build another structure in addition to my tiny house or purchase, you know, a house and then put the tiny house in the backyard. So, um, and I, I also, and to add on to that, I had some friends that were getting kicked off of properties who were living in their tiny houses. So I think that for me, I decided that like uh, the camper trailer was my version of a tiny house and that was working out fine for me. I, and no one was suspecting me living out of a camper trailer. Um, you know, it didn't look like a tiny house on wheels. Um, same with a van, you know, it's a little less of something where someone's going to say someone's living on of that most of the time. Um, you know, obviously that depends on your van and your rig all, all the time. But for me, you know, I, I'm kind of living in, in, in these camper trailers and rigs that are <laughs> older vehicles. So I don't think anyone's thinking that anyone's living in them. Um, so that just, that just worked out for me and the cost, the cost of those rigs too. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm not a, opposed to a tiny house. I just think that having a permanent structure is really nice because I think it allows you to have that freedom to create, um, other structures on your property, you know, like almost like a little tiny house village where you can, you know, rent out, you know, a yurt on your property or a TP or something else, um, like an accessory dwelling unit that that's kind of the dream is to like, now that I have this property too, is to host travelers, you know, offering them free showers and a place to park. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a long story, but I guess that's kind of why I went in this direction as opposed to, you know, going straight into building a tiny house on wheels. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I usually caution people who want to do a lot of traveling that a tiny house on wheels is not an easy thing to travel with for a number of reasons. And so, you know, going towards the van, the van life is, does solve some problems, the mobility problems. It, it is tinier, but it also makes it a lot easier to travel. Yeah. And when I talk to people who live in tiny houses, a lot of them live in one spot or they, you know, only park in certain spots, like, you know, certain areas that allow tiny house parking, you know, when they're, when they're traveling, like, like RV parks or campgrounds, you know, and things like that. And um, that makes perfect sense to me. I think that's, again, going, kind of going back to the question of, like, what's your purpose, you know? Um, I think that um, figuring out what kind of travel you want to have. If you want to be able to sleep on, on a street corner, like, um, in your rig, you know, you probably want a smaller vehicle that doesn't look like something that somebody's living out of um, full-time, like something more stealth. Um, if you're okay in one spot, like I was in my camper trailer, like I didn't, I wouldn't want to tow my camper trailer all over. Um, that just seems like a lot. So that was okay with me to, 
to keep in one location. So yeah, it's a good question to ask yourself before you kind of go into a big price point, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Why, why are you doing this and what do you want from it? <laughs> why? <laughs> question we're all asking ourselves or should be. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, um, it's been great chatting with you. Uh, Kathleen Morton, where can we find you online? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at tiny house, tiny footprint or van life diaries. Um, I would encourage everyone to look up our tour that we have going on. Um, It's open to everyone, whether or not you're in a tiny house or car or whatever. Um, You can go to vanlife.com.au slash tour. And we have gatherings and meetups, um, you know, all around the world, even Australia. Um, And so they're just really great ways to find people in your community. And we really encourage everyone to be a part of part of it, even though it's called, you know, a van life gathering (laughs) or a tiny house festival. I really don't want people to think that they're pigeonholed into that. I'll link to all your websites and social media profiles and some of the resources we talked about on the show notes page. So Kathleen Morton, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Kathleen Morton for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes, including links to all the resources that Kathleen mentioned at thetinyhouse.net slash 057. At the start of the show, I told you a little bit about Tiny House Engage, but I didn't let you know about another really great member benefit. Members of Tiny House Engage are able to listen live as I interview all of the guests on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. So if you have specific questions, things that you'd like to ask our guests, you can actually be a part of the conversations when you join Tiny House Engage. Again, membership only opens every six weeks, and the current membership period has opened today. So to learn more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. That's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.